Oh, that was feeble. If we're going to do it, let's do it, all right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Oh, God, the applause is for you. And we join that last verse that, that, that was written for us, that mortals join the, the chorus that began when you put the stars in place. And, God, that's what we're doing today. Our voices are joining in with all creation to declare that you are almighty God. We come here together, Lord, to gather together for that purpose. I pray that our time here is sweet for you, Lord. I pray that you're blessed by our time here. I pray, God, that now you'd open our hearts, that you'd clear us from distractions. Father, we're going to look into your word, the word that you've left us. And we pray, God, that you would speak into our hearts, that we'd go away from here changed, different, new, because we've been in the presence of Almighty God and because your word has spoken into our lives. Praise you for this. Joyful, joyful Lord, we adore thee. God's people said, amen. 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 All right, well, I'm going to release the students through grade four, the children, and they'll go off to the classes that are prepared for them. We're going to look at Psalm 19 together today. Psalm 19, and we're looking at the uh, verse of the year that, uh, that we have for this year, uh, and uh, it's found in Psalm 19. On the front of your bulletin, it talks a little bit about what we're going to be doing. We're going to be learning a new language together. And uh, it says, what is, what is the language that the Lord finds pleasing? It is a language that is far different from the language we hear throughout the day in our world. So many times we hear language that's unpleasing to God, don't we? We, uh, we hear negative talk. We hear destructive language. What if we could learn to speak a new language? Together, let's look at the language of blessing. How can we speak blessing over one another? How can our words become a blessing to those who listen? It comes as we meditate upon the Lord, as our hearts become hearts that seek to bless our words and our actions will follow our hearts. So this winter, in this first quarter here, we're going to learn together this new language. We're going to look at different blessings in Scripture. We'll see the impact those blessings had on the hearts of those who heard. And we'll start to learn not only to think about this new language, but to begin to use this new language in our day-to-day -day lives. So this first quarter, as Karen and I are away. We have several people who are going to be coming and, and opening the word, and each one of them are going to be looking at this new language so that together we can learn this language of heaven. Now, as I thought about what does it take for us to, new, to learn a new language, I thought I would Google the question, how long does it take to learn a new language? And isn't it amazing when you think you're the only person who's thinking of something and you type in that question and there's 954,000 hits or something like that, you know, and you, and you realize you're really not all that much, you know. But anyway, how long does it take to learn a new language? And I found a fascinating article online that talked about the 10,000-hour rule. And what that is is that it's a notion that true expertise is achieved after someone has invested 10,000 hours in, in studying something, okay? So 
if we apply that to language, this article says, for the sake of argument, we consider fluency to be the same as being an expert in speaking a language, then a learner may well invest 10,000 hours in their language studies to attain fluency. Now, some, it says people will shake their heads when they hear that. I guess not. Okay, so uh, anyway, as this article goes on and we start to think about this, and we know that like John and Helen Hovestal have been uh, learning new languages. They've been down in Honduras and they've been to special language studies and Dave and April, the same thing. And so we have missionaries who are involved in this process of learning a language that they could speak here. But this article goes on to say that there's four different scenarios they break down as to ways that you can and can learn and, and utilize these 10,000 hours. Now, the first way is a three-hour adult education course per week uh, for eight weeks. So that's 24 hours. And if you do two of those a year, so if you were to be studying a new language and you took two of these adult education courses per week, um, it would take you 200 and, um, I'm sorry, 416 years to become <laughs> fluent in that language. Okay, so figure three hours a week, it's gonna take you 416 years. Um, however, scenario number two is if you take a class in college of four hours per week, 12 weeks, that's 96 hours. At that point, you've cut it in half, and, or even less, you're at 104 hours, or 104 years now to achieve fluency. Number three is dedicated self-study. So if you, if you, uh, really become consistent and you study for one hour a day, every day, 365 days a year, you will nail the 10,000 hours in 27 years. Or then there's immersion, okay, and, and that's where you just, you're 24 hours a day, take out eight for sleeping, so you're at 16 hours a day and you immerse yourself into this, you just totally spend every moment of the waking day learning this new language then you've cut it down to two years, okay? So uh, the article goes on to say, bottom line is that mastering a foreign, t a foreign language takes time, dedication, and hard work, regardless of whether it's being done in a classroom or in an immersion setting. However, the benefits of learning how to speak a second language are certainly worth the effort. The challenges of learning another language are immense. Yet millions have achieved some degree of fluency in at least one other language. And then the article goes on to say this, quite fascinating. Those who achieve true fluency do so because they put in dedicated, consistent effort over a long period of time. Claiming otherwise is tantamount to fraud. So, as we say, let's work together as a family here to learn a new language, to learn the language of heaven. What we're saying is let's commit ourselves to the hard work and the dedication that's needed for us to become fluent in this language of heaven. And I think the, the verse of the year and the psalm that the, that the verse is contained within help us to really understand what it means in our lives to make this decision to learn a new language. So the verse of the year, and you'll see it on the screen here, and it's amazing. 
As you think of the last verse that we just sang in, in Joyful, Joyful, uh, we adore thee. Mortals join the mighty chorus that the morning stars began. And so this picture really takes that and, and makes it a reality, doesn't it? It's like you, you think of the cosmos and, and you think of this, this unbelievable song that creation is singing, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But yet, we're able to join in that chorus. And so this verse of the year, as we look at this together and as we begin to own this, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what will it look like for us to do that together? Well, the big idea for today is this. There is a language that pleases God. There is a language that pleases God. Let's say that together, should we? There is a language that pleases God. So that's the big idea. This verse says, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. So there's a language that pleases God. Let's unpack this psalm together to see if we can determine what that language is, shall we? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom, making its way from, from his pavilion, like a champion, rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By keeping them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Oh, what a powerful psalm. Isn't it amazing, the strength and the power in this psalm? Do you, do you see the truth and the glory of God? As we open this psalm together today, what we're going to see is David, this amazing psalm writer, as he moves from creation 
And he moves from creation into the word of God. And then from the word of God into himself as the worshiper. And as he does that, he's going to move from this transcendent God into a a personal God who becomes his redeemer. And in so doing, we see how he comes to this last declaration at the end of the psalm that the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart would be pleasing to God. Because there is a language that pleases God. And the first point that we see is that creation's voice declares the glory of God. Creation's voice declares the glory of God. And and as we look at this, we see and we consider that in eternity past, before anything was God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we've talked about that so much as we closed out last year. And to realize that at a point in time, he determined to create, and he spoke. And creation came into existence, and creation immediately began to sing the praises of God, to declare the glory of God. The minute that he spoke it into existence, it it began to sing. The stars singing the song, he knows my name. Every one of them in place because of God, declaring his glory. We stop to think about that and we we look at this picture and we consider the cosmos. When we think and stop and consider how many billions and billions of stars are out there, it is so big that no one can get their, their, their arms around it. And the word that David uses for God here, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And if we look in the original text, this is the word El, E-L, and it it is the word that is used for God that declares his might and his power and his majesty. And so as, as David begins, and it's the word that's used for God as creator, And so as David starts this psalm, he says, the creations declare the might and the glory and the power of God, the works of his hands. There are some people in the world who have much more faith than I do. They believe that the world happens some other way. Oh, they have way more faith than I do. They believe that out of nothing, Everything happened. It just kind of happened. Ben, that takes a lot of faith. When you come up to the building and you see the building, you say, there must be a builder. If there's a building, there must be someone who built the building. There's a builder. You see creation. Guess what? There's a creator. And he's God. And he's mighty and he's powerful and it's all held in place because he has determined that's what would happen. In Romans, Paul says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. You see, God has made himself known in in the cosmos. There's not a place on this planet that you can go outside and not see the cosmos. There's not a place you can go where you don't see creation. Meister Eckhart, in his quote that I have in the bulletin, there's, my mouth may speak of a stone or of of God, but so does the presence of a stone. My, My mouth may speak of God, but so does the presence of a stone. I love this. 
I remember reading the, the, uh, this little joke thing where the scientist was with God and the scientist was trying to, to show God that he could have created the world and the whole universe on, him, on his own. And God said, well, let's go at it. And so the scientist bent down and picked up some dirt and God said, get your own dirt. The dirt declares that there's God. See, the stone declares that there's God. The stone declares his power, it declares his might, it declares his glory. That's what, that's what creation does. Now this is general revelation. This is general revelation. It's revealed generally, the general nature of who God is is revealed in creation. by this mighty, powerful God who makes himself known all around the world. So question, how has the voice of creation helped me to know and consider and think about the greatness of God? Remember, we're looking at this idea that there's a language that pleases God. And before we move away from creation, we need to talk about the fact that Romans chapter eight says that creation's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. See, it's groaning because as God created heaven and earth, as he created this, it began to sing the song of heaven, the song of God, and then Adam and Eve stepped in and sinned and all of a sudden creation groaned. That groaning wasn't part of the original song of creation. So as we look at creation, we see these aspects where it's groaning and it's longing for the revelation that yet is to come. Creation. The second thing we see as we look at this language that pleases God, the second thing we see is that God's word makes his will known. God's word makes his will known. And as David moves from this first section of the psalm into the second section, he begins to look at God's word. He begins to look at it and he says, he starts by saying the the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, we look at that, and we say, wow, I did, you know, I thought, I thought the law of the Lord was this, this, this. Understand that what we're talking about here, the law of the Lord, the word here means Torah, the Torah of God. This, this, the embodiment of the first five books is Torah. And we look at Torah and we think of that word and we think of it as law. And immediately when we think of that, we think of it as, as some sort of opposition to us. See, what we need to understand is this word Torah, what it, what it really means is instruction. It's the instruction of God. And, and David says this instruction of God, this Torah from God, the, the instructions that he gives us, that it's perfect, it's full, it's sufficient, it's complete. It, it, it's all that we need, this, this, these instructions from God. Now, it's very important to see in this verse, verse seven. As you look at it, you see that it, it moves. It doesn't say God there. It says Lord. And in your translation, it's very possible that as it says Lord, all of those letters are capitalized. When that happens, you see, in, in your copy of God's word, what that's referring to is Jehovah. It's Jehovah's because you see, what's happened is David has moved from, from the impersonal 
almighty, powerful God who's transcendent, who's more than we could ever imagine and, and, and no one that we could get to. And he's moved and he said, the, the instructions of the Lord have been revealed that, and they're perfect. And when he does that, he uses this word, Jehovah. You remember Moses went to the burning bush and he said, who should I say you are? And God said, I am Jehovah, Yahweh. Now this is a word that's so sacred for the Jewish people that they don't speak it out loud. They say Adonai. But this is, this is moving from transcendent God to imminent God. That Jehovah, Lord, has stepped into his creation. And you'll remember when we looked at the, the covenant that was made with Moses, we looked at it as a marriage covenant that, that as this Torah was given, it was given as, as the heart of, of God speaking into a people who he loved. And David sees this and he says, this Torah, this law, these instructions are perfect. They revive the soul. The word for soul there, nefesh, and it means the whole person. See, the, the law of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord, they are perfect for reviving, for, for converting, for, for bringing to life your whole person. Do you, see, do you see God's word as that? Do you see his word as being, as being perfect for reviving you? Because it is God stepping into our world to make himself known. The second thing we see as we break down this, this truth about God's word revealing his will is that the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, verse eight. As we look at that and we see if, if the teachings of God, the instructions of God are perfect, then the statutes, and what statutes are, are the warning signs. The way to understand that is, is they're the warning signs that are found in scripture is basically what that word means. So you know when you're on a trip and, and you see these warning signs, there's a sharp turn ahead or there's these S-curves and you see these signs. I remember hearing about a person who called into the radio station and they said they had a suggestion. They thought it would be a good idea to move the deer crossing signs to some place where there's less traffic so that the deer wouldn't cross where all the traffic was. I'm serious. They, they... The deer crossing signs are not there to warn the deer. Okay, so, but we see those signs and, and we recognize those things and we see that they're warning signs. And so as we're traveling, we pay attention to those. And, and we, 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 in faith, believe that they're trustworthy. Well, the word of God, the statutes of God, the warning signs that are found in the instructions of God are trustworthy, and they make wise the simple. See, if you're simple, you ignore a warning sign, and you just go right by it, and, and then you find yourself driving off the cliff or something like that. See, the sign makes you wise, and that's what these warning signs in Scripture will do. The precepts of the Lord are right. The precepts are, are, if you could understand it this way, they're the directions. They're the, the roadmap, so to speak, of, of Scripture. Pat, 
Do you remember when there was no GPS? You remember that? And Heather would sit in the front seat and she would unfold the map and she would hold it out and she'd be your navigator and she would say, yeah, turn right here and those kinds of things, the directions. And the key requirement for a person to be navigator was to know how to fold the map back up again. <laughs> right? You remember those days? David says, these precepts, these directions that come from God through the Torah, through the law, they're right. And it brings joy to the heart. See, how many times have you been going somewhere and you've gotten lost? Men never get lost, so I guess I'm talking to the women in the room. But how many times have you been going and, and you've gotten twisted off course a little bit? And, and you call the person and you say, yeah, I'm trying to get to your house for dinner, but I've been driving around for 10 minutes and I can't find it. And they say, well, where are you? And you say, I don't know, there's a big tree here. Oh, yeah, I know that tree. So, you know, and, and then they give you directions from that tree and you find the house and you pull up and joy fills your heart because you're hungry. And, but as you look at this, what brings joy to your heart? See, the directions, the roadmap that Scripture has laid out for us. For those of us who, who know his name, there's a roadmap that's been laid out. And it brings joy to our heart when we live within that path that he's defined for us. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The co commands of the Lord. So, Rihanna, clean your room. Oh, thank you, Mom. Thank you for that command. It brings joy to my eyes. See, these commands of the Lord, they are the directives of God. The one who made you, who created you, who formed you, who shaped you, has commands of how to live your life according to the pattern that he has designed for you to have. And as you go according to those commands, it illuminates you. It brings light into your eyes. And that light radiates from your eyes. Maybe you, you know people who get that twinkle in their eye. Do you know anybody who gets that little twinkle? For some people, that's a mischievous twinkle. That's not what I'm necessarily talking about but there's just the twinkle of life. Do you know those people? See, and, and those are people who love the commands of God and that those commandments have illuminated their lives and they put the light of God within their life. The fear of the Lord is pure, endures forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Now, the ordinances are, are those things that God has judged what is right, the judging of what is right. See, that belongs to God. If you want to know who determines what's right for your life, it's God. Did you know that? So many times in my life I live as though I've determined what's right. But God is the one who determines that. And he determines what is right, and those are his ordinances. So as David takes this, this idea of the law of the Lord, and he unpacks it for us, we take a look at it, we say, oh my goodness, this is Jehovah. 
This is God stepping into our world, revealing who he is, so that the groaning of creation that happened at the fall, as we turned away from him, he still has the purpose of redemption for us, and so as he steps into our world to make this visible to us, to make it known to us, because creation talks about his invisible qualities, the Torah, the law, the word of God talks about his visible. He reveals himself to us. Hebrews says, in, in, in your text there, Hebrews says, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom he made the universe. See, God has stepped into our world. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about special revelation. Special revelation. Creation displays the might and the power of God. That's general revelation, but general revelation cannot save because Acts tells us that it's Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. So we understand and know that apart from Jesus, we can't experience the salvation, the redemption that God longs for us to have, but through his word, he has revealed the absolute standard that he holds for us. Absolute holiness. We've been created in the image of God to walk with him in holiness. And one thing that we do in our life that breaks that holiness in our life breaks the relationship with God. But he reaches into our world through Jesus and reveals his plan for redemption. You see, sin, sin in your life, listen, do you know Jesus? Sin in your life has earned the wrath of God. He's a just God, a holy God. He's a loving God, but he's righteous. And so those, those sins have separated you from God and brought the wrath of God. But Jesus stepped in the world and hung on the cross. God, man, stepped into the world, died on the cross, and and took on himself the very wrath of God and offers that as payment for your, for your sin. Have you come to the point where you've realized that your sin has earned the wrath of God and yet God has made it possible for you to be forgiven through Jesus Christ? Have you turned to him? Have you, like David said, forgive my hidden faults and keep me from, from willful sins? And have you found the forgiveness that God is waiting to lavish on you? The redemption. Because the Torah, the word, the law of God has been brought into our world for the purpose of making God known intimately. So how much effort do I put into learning the will of God as revealed in his word? How much effort do I take in looking at this word of God where God has revealed to me who he is? How much effort do I take? Have I immersed myself into this? Or is it three hours a week, eight weeks a year? Am I expecting to learn the new language that way? There is a language that pleases God. That's our big idea today. Their final point is this, that my audible words can please the Lord who is my redeemer. My audible words can please the Lord who is my redeemer. And here, David has moved. He's moved from transcendent God who's, who's over all of creation 
and he's moved even from Jehovah, who is God who has revealed himself in our world, he's moved and now he's talking about his redeemer. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, he says. And now we see why God has stepped in Emmanuel in the person of Jesus Christ is so that God who is over creation, God who is in creation can be God who is in me. My rock, my redeemer. In chapter 18 of Psalms, right before chapter 19, look at verse 46. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my savior, my redeemer. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies, who exalted me above my foes. From violent men, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations. O Lord, I will sing praises to your name. David cries out. He says, you are my rock. You are that which I build my life on. You are my redeemer. You are the one who has rescued me. Listen, is that your song? Is that who Jesus is to you? Is he your rock? Is he who you're building your life on? Is he your redeemer? Is he the one who has rescued you? If so, Join the chorus. Hallelujah. Join the chorus. Declare. Listen, creation declares that he's mighty. We declare that he's Savior. We declare that he's Jesus. We declare that he's Redeemer. That's the language of heaven that's been entrusted to us. How are we learning that language? How is that language finding its place into our lives, into our everyday life? Listen, it's not just the language we use in here. It's not just the language we use when we put our iPod on. It's every word that comes from our mouth. It's every word that we text. It's every post that we put on Facebook. It's every Snapchat that you think disappears. It's everything all the communication that we use, how is that being used by God for his glory? How can we join in with creation? Psalm 146, I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. Oh my goodness. Let your conversation be full of grace. Full of grace. Now that's, that means grace towards each other, but it also means to be full of the grace of God, full of the grace of God that pours through you because you are a channel of his person in your life. Joshua, chapter one. Joshua says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it, day and night. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. And you're like, What does that mean? Because you're just telling me that my language should go out. But Joshua says, don't let the book of the law depart. Here's what I think. I think what that means is I need to have the word of God so much in my mouth that any word that comes out of my mouth has to go through the filter of God's word so that it's just laced by God as it comes out, so that it's his word blessing every person who it comes into contact with. Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No problem. Right? 
Anybody have a problem with that? Really? Wow, all right. We're halfway there. Okay, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But what? Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Yeah. That's how we join creation. We join creation because creation's not really necessarily concerned about its own needs. In order for me to really own this, what I have to do is I have to be looking for needs. And I have to be speaking this language of heaven, this language of blessing. I need to be speaking it into people's lives. I need to be stepping into people's lives with this language. How can I build others up according to their needs so that it benefits everyone who listens? Now, I know a lot of you are in work situations where you can't necessarily proclaim the name of God. You maybe can't necessarily talk about Jesus. You can't necessarily pray with people. Maybe, maybe those things are restricted for you in some way, shape, or form. But listen, there is nothing that can restrict you from speaking in love over a person. Nobody can stop you from doing that. Nobody can stop you from using the words of heaven that are helpful for building others up according to their needs so that everybody who's around listens to that. See, when somebody does something to you that's hurtful, how do you respond? What happens to me is less important than how I handle what happens to me. The way that I respond is way more critical than what it is that happened to me. So if something happens to me and I respond in this way, because hurt people hurt people. So if someone hurt you, it's probably because they have a hurt in their life. And so if it's not about you, if it's about other people and how they can benefit, if somebody says something hurtful for you, the first thing that goes into your mind is, I wonder where they're hurting and how I can step into that. Is that easy? No. You know why? It's a new language. See, the language that we've learned ever since we were born is the language of this world. In the language of this world, one of the first words we learn is mine. Right? It's mine. Anybody with little kids ever hear that in your house? Anybody with big kids ever hear that in your house? Anybody ever hear it coming out of your own mouth? See, it's permeated our thought process. And if we're going to learn a new language, that word has to go away. Because what's mine is God's. See? With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, praise and cursing my brothers, it shouldn't be. My brothers, my sisters, I can't be. Can't do that anymore. We can't miss the language of heaven with the language of this world. We need to be encouraging one another. And listen, the way this happens the best is as it becomes the language we speak over each other. For sure in here, we should be using grace. Grace language. Should fill every one of our conversations. People walk in from the outside and they go, I don't know what they're speaking in there, but I like it. Because it's encouragement, it's positive, it's blessing, it's building others up according to their needs. This is the language of heaven. This is the language of God. It's being interested in the person's eternal security and being so interested that we're ready to declare, along with the heavens who declare his greatness, we're ready to declare the fact that he's come to be known in this world. 
Is the Lord my Redeemer? If so, how does my language declare his glory and his presence in my life? Do I speak the language of the king? Oh, I want to encourage us. As the worship team comes up, we're going to be singing a final song. And I encourage you, if you don't know it, to just listen to it. But then as, as you come to know it, sing it so that you can own the truth of this of this teaching that we can begin to have our language become the language of God, the language of heaven flowing through us. We can challenge each other, encourage each other, exhort each other in this. Loving the word of God and having it become our very words. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.